And by office, I just mean his role or his position. Um, in the New Testament, Jesus is seen to hold the, the office of a prophet, of a priest, and a king. And as we come to see how Jesus fulfills each of these roles over the next three weeks, Lord willing, we will find ourselves just reveling and glorying in the person and work of Jesus Christ all the more. Because our goal here in this series is as we see Jesus fulfilling this role of prophet, priest, and king, that we'll see and understand who he is and what he did for us all the more, that it might just lead us to worship and to give thanks for who he is and for what he's done. And tonight we're going to start by looking at Jesus as our prophet. And before Mindy reads, I'm going to pray for us. So let's pray together. Oh Lord, you have spoken to us in your word. We pray tonight that you would continue to speak through what you have already spoken. Lord, through your word tonight, Lord, may the power, through the power of your Holy Spirit, may you just open our eyes to see Christ as bigger and as better than everything else out there. Lord, give us ears to hear what you would have for us to hear. Give us eyes to see what you would have us to see from your word tonight. And meet us, we pray. Amen. start all over and I'm not going to say good morning I'm going to say good afternoon good afternoon I get the privilege of reading to you out of the word this afternoon from Deuteronomy 18 15 through 19 the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from your brothers it is to him you shall listen just as you desired of, of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly when you said let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. The wonderful word of the Lord. All right, well, there's this story I read uh, this last week about um, this celebrated Swedish filmmaker. I'm going to butcher his name, but it's Ing Ingmar Bergman. And he tells the story about a vision that he had one day in the 1960s. In this vision, Bergman found himself wandering about this great building that he later, that, that turned out to be a cathedral. Upon walking around this cathedral, turning a corner, he sees this picture of Jesus. Sensing its importance, he's, he says to the picture, speak to me. I will not leave this cathedral until you speak to me. In this vision, he does this repeatedly, and of course, the picture doesn't speak to him. But it's clear that this vision deeply affected him because that same year, he produced a film called The Silence, reflecting on and wrestling with this theme of God's silence from his vision. 
know, you and I might uh, chuckle at this vision. I mean, who really expects a picture to talk? This isn't, uh, this isn't Hogwarts we're walking through. The pictures don't talk to us. But I think if we pause and think about it, this account is actually really revealing, I think, for all of us. Because it's tapping into a longing in every single one of our hearts. A longing for a God who speaks. And not just some impersonal God, some, some force, but a God who can talk to you. And a God you can talk to. The truth is we all want a God who talks with us, who, who can communicate with us. Because we all desperately want something greater than us, something outside of us, telling us that our life has meaning, that our life has purpose, that we matter. We want a God who's outside of us, who can help us to make sense of the world, who can tell us who we are and what we're supposed to do. The truth is, we are all looking for something to give us a justifying story for our lives. In our heart of hearts, this goes for all of us, whether you would identify as a Christian or not. We all want to hear some, from someone greater than us telling us that we're okay, that we matter, that we're valuable, and that we're lovable. And, as a, and as, a, as a book I've read recently put it, that we're all looking for someone to tell us that we're enough. We're all looking for enoughness. And the best reason why we have all of these longings, why we desire to hear these voices telling us these things is because we're created by a God who speaks to us. And that's what this text this evening is all about. It's all about the fact that God has spoken to his people and he's done so fully in Jesus, our prophet. So as we continue tonight, we want to see together God's promise and God's provision of a prophet and then make some applications for our lives. First, we see God's promise of a prophet here in Deuteronomy 18. In our passage that Mindy read for us earlier, we've dropped in on Moses' second of three farewell sermons. He knows that the nation is about to enter the land of Egypt, or the, the promised land, land of Canaan, and he knows that he's not going with them because of his sin. So as they prepare to enter the land, he's telling them everything he wants to know. You could just, just see it's like that final study cram session before a final. He's just unloading them on, he's unloading on them, telling them everything that he thinks they need to know for things to go well for them in the land. And in the middle of this teaching, we come across these verses where God promises the people that he's going to send another prophet. As verse 15 says, um, Moses writes, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers. It is to him you should listen. In these words, God's really doing something remarkable. Here he's assuring his people that he's not abandoning them that he's not going dark, he's not going silent on them. Just imagine if you were the Israelites here, you're about to enter the land, you know that Moses, this guy who's been your leader, your redeemer, the guy who's, who's been the mouthpiece of God for you all of these years, you're about to enter this land filled with nations mightier than you, and this guy, Moses, your leader, is not going with you. If that's where you're sitting, you're going to be discouraged. I'm going to be discouraged. There's not much reason for hope. And here in these words, in these verses, God is just giving them much hope as he assures them that as they go into the land, even as they go into the land without Moses, he's going to continue to speak to them. 
He's going to continue to talk with them. Because, we, because more than, because more, we know this because more than anything else, the role of the prophet was to speak to the people on God's behalf. The prophets declare God's message. Verse 18 sums this up really nicely where, where God is speaking and he says that I will put my words in his, that's the prophet's mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command them. The prophets were primarily spokespeople for God. Sometimes I think in our day and age when we hear prophet, we think primarily of someone who, who foretells the future. I don't know if like left behind or something like that comes to mind for you. But we think about it, someone who's, who's prophesying the future. And, and that is a small portion of what a prophet does. But as we see here and as we see throughout the Bible, that um, prophets were primarily messengers from God who were given a specific message for a specific people at a specific time. And throughout the Bible, we see God giving his prophet a message of, of some sort, whether it's in a dream, whether it's in a vision, or whether he's directly communicating to them that, he's, that they're then to, to turn and to tell the people. Here in Deuteronomy 18, when God promises to send another prophet, he's assuring the Israelites that he's still going to speak with them. And this just would have been incredibly encouraging and hope-giving to them. And I just want to briefly mention that if you're here tonight, if you're, if you're feeling discouraged, if the, the circumstances of your life have left you feeling like there's not much reason for hope, if you can relate with the Israelites who are wondering, why do we even need to go into the land if Moses isn't, with, isn't going with you? Let God's promise of a prophet be encouraging to you because God always provides what his people needs. Know that God knows what you need and just like he promised Israel that he'd send them a prophet, in Christ, he's promised you to give you everything you need to get through whatever you're facing right now. As the passage continues, we see that it's not just any prophet that God promises to send um, the people, but he's going to raise up a prophet like Moses. In fact, this point is made twice in verses 15 and 18. Verse 15, we see, that the, we see Moses writes, The Lord your God will raise up a prophet, for you, a prophet like me from among you. Verse 18, he says it again, I will raise up a prophet like you from among their brothers. And this is significant because as we, we, look, at the Old Test, as we look at the Old Testament, out of all of the prophets, there was none who was greater than Moses. There's, there's no figure in all of the Old Testament that even comes close to performing the works that Moses performed, or that even comes close to the intimacy with God that he has. And so when God promises to send his prophet, he's promising a prophet like Moses, one who will have an intimacy with God, one whom God will speak to face to face and who will do great wonders. And as God finishes up here in, verses, uh, in, in chapter 18 of this promise of a prophet, we see that when God promises to send a prophet, the instructions to the people are clear. The people are to listen to him. The prophets are going to come revealing who God is, proclaiming his message to the people. And just like Israel was called to obey Moses at, at, the, at Mount Sinai, here they're to listen to the new prophet that God will send, the prophet like Moses. We see this in verse 19 where God says that whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of them. God's going to send his prophets and the people were to listen to him. 
The people were to listen to him because as the prophet comes, they're not declaring their own message, but they're coming proclaiming this message from God. They don't come in their own name with their own message, but they come saying, thus saith the Lord. Because they are God's words. They're his message that he's giving to the people, and that's why they're to listen to him. Just as a, as a brief side note here, as we think through the authoritative nature of the, of the prophet's message, I think it's just a, a helpful correction for us or even for us in greater evangelicalism. I don't, I'm not sure if you know, but in, in today's wider evangelical world, there are people who are, who are calling for us to just sidestep the Old Testament altogether to say that the message there is just antiquated. We really don't need to, to listen to that message, but let's, let's focus on the gospel. Let's focus on the New Testament. And the truth is, is that one, as hopefully we'll see tonight, we can't really understand who Jesus is apart from the Old Testament, but also that the Old Testament, all of the, the majority of your Bible here is God's authoritative word to us, and he's calling us to listen to him. So here in these, in these verses in Deuteronomy 18, we've, we've seen God's promise of a prophet. He's gonna send a prophet like Moses who will speak his words to the people. And next we see God's provision of a prophet in Jesus. Because as the storyline of the Bible continues, uh, we see a partial fulfillment of God's promise to, to send a prophet as he does send prophets to his people. He sends prophets like Samuel, like Nathan, like Elijah, like Isaiah, and many others. But as we see, none of them was a prophet like Moses. Elijah comes close, but none of them are a prophet like Moses. None of them quite approached his status, either in terms of the intimacy that they, that they shared with God or in the works that they performed. As Deuteronomy 34 tells us, that there hasn't arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses. And in fact, leading up to the first century, there was a, a lot of expectations surrounding the arrival of God's promised prophet. We see this in, uh, as John the Baptist comes on the scene and the people come up to him and they're asking him, are you the prophet? As this expect, there's this expectation that's just setting the stage for the people who are waiting to see God's promised prophet. They're waiting for him to come. And as we see in the New Testament, this expectation, it sets the stage for the New Testament's revelation of Jesus as our prophet as Jesus, as God's promised prophet. In fact, there's, there's so much evidence here that we could, we could go into the night looking probably page after page in the New Testament of evidence that Jesus is God's promised prophet, but we have a supper that we want to get to, so we're not going to do that. But I want to look at just one scene from Jesus's life that I think clearly shows all of us that he is God's promised prophet, the one who's not only like Moses, but the one who's actually greater than Moses and all of the Old Testament prophets. And this scene is the Jesus's transfiguration. Is this a scene recorded for us in, in three different places in the, in, three di in the first three gospels. And I'm gonna be primarily referencing Luke's account in Luke 9. At this point in Jesus's life, we see that he's told his disciples the day of his death, that the day of his death is coming. He's told them that he's going to be rejected, he's gonna be killed, and on the third day, he's gonna rise from the dead, ushering his kingdom. And after a few days, he, uh, and after a few days of telling his disciples this, we, we see they really don't see what, what's happening, they don't get it, but a few days later, Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John to go up this mountain to pray with him. 
But as they're up there, it quickly becomes clear that Jesus has bigger plans for this trip up the mountain. Because in the midst of this prayer meeting, you can just, just picture them all sitting there with hands folded, with, with uh, hands folded, with their eyes bowed and closed, with their heads bowed, their eyes closed. And as they're praying, something happens. Something so different, something so amazing that the disciples aren't even sure what to do with themselves. Because as they are up there praying, Jesus' appearance is changed. His face is shining like the sun, Luke tells us. His clothes are white as light. Mark tells us that they are so white that, that no amount of bleach in the world could make clothes that white. Now, I've never done a load of laundry in my life. Sorry, <laughs> never done a load of laundry in my life. But I get the general idea that bleach is supposed to make your whites whiter. And here, Jesus' clothes appeared so white that you, could, that you could fill the washing machine to the top with bleach, which, bleach, which you're not supposed to do, by the way. I, I do know that. <laughs> and, and you could fill it up to the top with bleach. You could put your undershirts in there, whatever you want in there, and your clothes are never going to come out as dazzling white as Jesus' is here. Now, what's going on? Why, why is this happening? Well, in this moment, what we see is Jesus is revealing his glory to his disciples. The glory that Jesus had for all eternity as the second person of the Trinity, he is pulling back the veil a bit and he is showing his disciples who he truly is. And if this sight isn't enough, we see that Moses and Elijah, the two greatest prophets in the Old Testament, come beside Jesus. I mean, for Peter, James, and John, Moses and Elijah are their heroes. When they're at the playground deciding who gets to be who, everyone is fighting over who gets to be Moses, who gets to be Elijah. They were their heroes, and here they are. They see their Messiah. They see Jesus, his face shining like the sun. They see Moses. They see Elijah coming upon them, and they are just dumbfounded. And in the midst of this, they overhear this conversation between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And we're not exactly sure everything that's said, but we do know what they're talking about. Luke tells us that they're talking about the time of Jesus' departure. Literally, they're talking about Jesus' exodus, referring to his death and resurrection, where he's going to save God's people in the same way that Moses saved his people in the exodus from Egypt. And as Moses and Elijah, and, and as Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, as, they are, as they're finishing up their conversation, we see that a cloud comes out of nowhere and completely covers this mountain. And out of this cloud that surrounded them comes a voice speaking. And this voice that they hear tells them, it speaks from the, from the cloud, God the Father speaks, and he tells them that this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. You see that there? God the Father, out of this cloud where you have Moses and Elijah and Jesus, he says that this is my son, my chosen one. And then he says those words that we've seen before in Deuteronomy 18 in connection with God's promised prophet. He says, listen to him. Here with the two greatest Old Testament prophets flanking Jesus on each side, God the Father points to Jesus and tells his disciples that they are to listen to him. And in this remarkable scene, God is showing us his provision of a prophet in Jesus. He's the one who's come like Moses, but who's actually greater than Moses. 
Did you see the, the parallels here that was between Moses and Jesus? If you remember back at Mount Sinai and here at the Transfiguration, that both Moses and Jesus ascend a mountain that's later covered in a cloud. When Moses is on the mountain, his, his appearance is changed as, as his face shines reflecting the glory of God. But here, Jesus' entire appearance is changed as he's revealing his own glory to the disciples. God spoke face to face with Moses, but the intimacy that he shared with him was nothing compared to the intimacy between the father and his beloved son. And while Moses truly performed great works in the exodus from Egypt, as God used him to redeem the people from slavery in the land, this was nothing compared to the redemption, the salvation that Jesus would accomplish for his people in his exodus, in his death and resurrection, where he freed us not from slavery to a land, but by his grace where he has saved us from, from slavery to Satan and sin. In Jesus, he's, in Jesus, God has provided us with, the, with his promised prophet. So that's what we've seen thus far. We've seen in Deuteronomy 18, God's promise of a prophet. And here in the transfiguration is just one of many places where we see that Jesus is God's promised prophet. And you could be thinking to yourself, well, that's great, Josh, but what, is this, what does this have to do with my life? Why does it matter that Jesus is God's promised prophet? Well, as we transition to our application, I'd like for us just to think back for a moment to the opening story, to our story about Bergman, who's, who's staring at a paper, who's staring at a painting, demanding that Jesus speak to him, desiring and needing to hear from something greater than himself. He questions this picture. And if we're honest, we get this desire. We want to hear from something greater than us, something outside of us. And what this passage is showing us is that we don't need to keep looking. What this passage is showing us is that we don't need to look to a picture because God has spoken to us in his son, Jesus. He's spoken through the prophets before him, but in Jesus, we have God's supreme revelation telling us who we are, telling us who God is, telling us everything that we desire to hear. So the take-home for us this evening is to be the type of people who look to Jesus and listen to him. And this is just such a helpful reminder for me because I don't know about you, but all too often I am just aware of my tendency to look and to listen to other voices out there. I don't, I don't know about you, but as I was, was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about this truth that God has spoken to us through Christ, I was just, just reminded that the, the question for all of us here is never if we're listening to something, but it's always what are we listening to? Because we're already already, we're always already listening to something. And here by listen, I don't mean just any audible noise that enters our head, but I'm referring to the voices, I'm referring to the, the messages that we're looking to, that we're listening to, that are, that are shaping and forming the way we view God in the world. The voices that we're looking to for meaning and for purpose in life. These are the things that we're looking to to tell us that we're enough. And you don't need me to tell you that there's no lack of people or ideas out there that are vying for our attention. And that's why Jesus comes and that's why God tells us to listen to Jesus because our temptation is always to look and to listen to things outside of him. 
Because if we're not looking to Jesus and his word, then we're looking to the false prophets all around us whose messages will never satisfy because they can't. You see, if we're looking to money or success, if we're looking to power, to influence, to our reputation, to give us meaning and purpose in life, if you find that you're looking to your career, to your relationship status, to how your kids have turned out, if you're looking to anything else to tell you that your life has value, to tell you that you matter, then you're only going to find yourselves enslaved to these things. David Foster Wallace, he was, he was an atheist who, who tragically committed suicide in, in 08, but he just saw the tendency in America to, to look to things outside of us, to give us validity, to give us meaning. And in this wonderful speech that he gave, he said that, that when we look to things that aren't God, even though he didn't believe in God, he saw the, the practical outworking and the desire that we all have for a God speaking to us. But when we look to these types of things, he says that they will eat us alive. He says that when we look to our careers, when we look to our reputations, when we look to anything other than God to tell us who we are, that we will eventually die a million deaths. Because as the song from The Greatest Showman puts it, none of it will ever enough. If you're listening to the voices telling you that you are what you do, that you, that you are what you achieve, whether it's in the classroom or the office, whether it's on the sports field, or whether it's on the social media platform, it's never going to need enough. We're always going to need and crave more. We're always going to want more likes, more money, more success, more influence, more friends, more retweets, you fill in the blank. It will never end. We will always desire more. Trevin Wax, he's a, he's a pastor and a blogger, and he has a great name for this reality. He calls it double thirst. Trevin Wax explains double thirst. He says that, that this is when you drink something that normally or that temporarily quenches your need for water but that something has an ingredient that creates in you greater thirstiness. Just think of like water with salt mixed in. That water is going to temporarily quench your thirst, but the salt is only going to make you even thirstier than you were before. And so you keep going, and so whatever it is that you're looking to, it's like that salt water that we will keep going back to, always needing more, always thinking, if I only achieve this, if I only accomplish this, then I would finally be satisfied. But instead, if you can relate at all, you find that you only seem more empty and more lonely. You're only, you are only more anxious and fearful than you were at the beginning. You just find yourself more exhausted. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you are just aware of the, the pain, the loss, the loneliness, or, or the anxiety of looking for meaning and for happiness in anything other than Christ, anything other than Jesus and his message of the gospel. And that's the only result when we look to anything and that's why God has called us to listen and to look to Jesus because his message is better. He is the better prophet with a better message that we call the gospel. The good news that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he brings and gives us the forgiveness and the freedom that we desire. Because it's only the gospel that provides what it promises. All other messages 
make great promises to us, but they only leave us empty. But the gospel provides what it promises because none of it is dependent upon us. Isn't that good news? On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. He bore the wrath of God that separated us from him so that by turning from our sin, by trusting in him, we receive the forgiveness that we desire. We are restored to a right relationship with God and the words that we so desire to hear, the blessing that we desire is spoken over us as God looks at us and says, you are my beloved child. You are enough. Cease striving. Look to me to find your meaning. Look to me to find your identity and your purpose. And the grace here is that all of it is completely dependent upon who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's not dependent upon our performance or our achievement. That is why Jesus's message is better. I was reminded of, of the scene in, in, in John where, where he's, he's, he taught a hard truth and, and many people are leaving him. They don't want to hear his message. And, and Jesus looks to his 12 disciples and he just says, well, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter just looks to him and says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Grace Church, if you are here, if you have trusted in Christ, you have the words of eternal life. Look to Jesus and listen to him. Hear those words once again and just rest in the freedom that he gives us. So if you're here, if you've trusted in Christ, and perhaps maybe you're just realizing that you have, that you have drifted from this message, that you have, have drifted from looking to Jesus alone for your meaning and purpose. And perhaps you found that you're looking to, to other things. I know that's my tendency is, is I so crave and desire acceptance that I just, I funnel that and I channel that through other things, forgetting that in Christ I am accepted. If you feel like you can relate as I so often do, just hear again. God's message of grace to you, that in Christ you have everything you need, everything you want, that it has all been done for you. Just uh, a couple things, just to, to consider how if you find that you are tempted to look to other things, just be mindful of ways where you can be positioning yourself to hear from God, to regularly hear in his word who you are and what is true of you, to hear that time and time again. Let's be a community of believers here who are continually pointing to others, who are reminding them of who they are in Christ. Because it's Christ's message alone that saves. It's Christ's message alone that provides the enoughness that we are looking for, that we desire. And Christ's message, it, it sustains us as well. If you are, are here in the midst of, of a season of, of darkness and despair, just hear Christ's message of hope to you. If you find yourself worried and anxious, hear Christ's message of peace that will sustain you in no matter whatever you're going through. If you are just very aware of a trial or tribulations that you are going through, hear and receive God's message of comfort to you in Christ. And if you're here and you are just feeling weary and exhausted, if you have, have been mindful of you are just aware of how you've been looking to all these other things and they are just, you are weary and exhausted with life, look to Christ, hear his message 
that he offers you rest. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Look to Christ to find your message. We want to listen to Jesus, the greater prophet, because his message saves and his message sustains. And if you're here and and you might not consider yourself a Christian, perhaps you're not really sure what you believe, I just want you to consider the message that Jesus is bringing you today. Because like all prophets before him, as we heard earlier in Deuteronomy 18, that that if we don't listen to the words that Jesus comes, then God will require it of us. Jesus has come with a message of great blessing, of salvation for all of us. But that message of salvation always comes, or also comes with a message of judgment. In Christ's life, death, and resurrection, he's holding out his message of salvation for all who trust in him. But for those who refuse to hear and to believe his message of salvation, the alternative is his word of judgment. Because apart from trusting in the good news of what Jesus has done for us, all of us, including myself, stand condemned under the penalty of our sin. And according to Jesus, the penalty is death. It's eternal separation from his loving presence. So tonight, turn from seeking for your meaning and your significance and messages that never satisfy, those that will always leave you wanting more, and turn to Jesus, the one who's offering you forgiveness and freedom in the gospel, the one who declares you loved and lovable because of what he has done for you in Christ. Well, as we close this evening, we want to close by celebrating the Lord's Supper. I want to release the people who are going to be serving us here to prepare for that and the band as they come up. And this is something that we do most weeks because it's such a wonderful reminder to all of us of God's message to us. It's a wonderful reminder of the gospel. One of the, the pastors I really, really appreciate, he, he says that in the Lord's Supper, Supper, the gospel that Jesus brings to us comes with props because the, the bread and the wine remind us of who God is and what he's done for us. So, it's, so as the um, ushers prepare to come here, take the bread, take the cup, and be reminded of the word of blessing that God has spoken over you. Because on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after blessing it, he gave thanks, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. And after they had taken the bread, he he took the cup and he blessed that, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is for you. So Grace Church, as the ushers, as the ushers come here soon, we want to come and just be mindful as you take the bread, as you take the cup, to hear God's message to you. Ushers, you can come.